0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth.
1: Welcome to Veritas.
0: Our lives are governed by our beliefs. Many of them we may believe to be the truth. Oftentimes these beliefs can have the potential to create happiness or unhappiness in our lives and the world around us. Two people with the exactly same set of circumstances and conditions can have a completely different experience because of the beliefs they hold. The beliefs which we choose to believe are rarely an absolute truth. Beliefs are usually a relative truth. At times they can feel like they are actually the truth because of the evidence we have created about them from our lives. This evidence can evolve from the media, society, people around us, Personal experience, parents, teachers, and religion. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Famburgas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is David Whitehead. Who was born in calgary alberta canada he's a full-time martial arts instructor father an entrepreneur in the field of health and wellness he's always been on a quest since as far back as he can remember something drew him magnetically to the martial arts warrior legend and to philosophy from the rare programs on tv he was able to catch or the books he came across at the local library he devoured everything he could find on the tales of courageous samurai Valiant Knights, a medieval military strategy, comparative religion and mythology, and even modern-day superheroes. And we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. His website is wayofthetruthwarrior.com. David Whitehead joins us directly from Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. Hello, David, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
1: Hello, Mel. Very good, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan of your show, and I'm happy to be here with you today, my friend.
0: Well, I'm honored to hear that. I'm honored to have you also. We met a couple of years ago in Pennsylvania, and we finally got this interview going. But I'm very curious because anybody who's a truth warrior, somebody who's interviewing people, is my colleague And you and I share a lot of similarities. But first, let's take the audience to the beginning. I want to know how old this began for you.
1: Well, my journey in studying the martial arts and going down that path started at a very young age for me. It was probably around nine years old. I started off watching, you know, the typical shows like the Ninja Turtles, the Power Rangers, (laughs) all that kind of stuff, right? And I was intrigued by it because at a young age, I was going through a very difficult time my mother was in and out of the hospital. She had all kinds of medical complications and surgeries. So, I was actually staying with a lot of my parents' friends at the time. We were basically moving around because my dad, he worked shift work, and I felt I felt a lot of anxiety about that as a kid, as any kid would. But to add to that, you know, we had a lot of other struggles going on in our lives at that time. And I think I gravitated towards the martial arts at a young age because there was something about these individuals and these people that, you know, most of them seemed rather unassuming, yet they were very powerful. And I I craved to have that level of confidence, that level of, um, I guess you could say, competence and that self-esteem and all of that. And the whole philosophy right off the bat, even though I just got little snippets of it from movies and television, it appealed to me right off the bat. And it encouraged me to go and actually start looking some of this stuff up. And so I would go to the local library, take out some books off the shelf on, you know, history and philosophy. I was always gravitating towards those subjects and eventually started pulling actual martial art books off the shelf, which usually detailed instructionals on how to do different striking techniques or katas or different uh, moves or whatever. And yet also in those books, usually in the back section, you know, the section most people skip over was this incredible tale of the warrior philosophy. And I read the books of the likes, you know, Bruce Lee, of course, you know, most people know him for action movies and being a mega superstar, but don't know how much of a philosopher he was. Uh, and then I read the works of people like uh, Gichin Funakashi, the founder of karate, uh, Moro Hayashiba, the founder of Akito, Jigoro Kano, the founder of Judo, uh, started reading some of the Kung Fu legends. And it just started me on this path of wanting to learn more about this. And I wanted to learn both the physical side of it because, you know, I was a small kid. And like I said, a lot of I was very introverted at the time. So I was picked on a lot by other kids. So I wanted to learn, you know, how do I defend myself? How do I have that kind of confidence? But I also wanted to find my place here. Why am I here? What is this life all about? What's where can I find meaning? And I think this is the quest that all of us go on and we all find our own paths towards uh, the, the, the road that we choose when we try to go down that route of discovering who we are, why we're here, where we're going, finding our place in the world. And for me, martial arts was a good cornerstone in my life. It was something that was always there throughout from the age of nine until the present day. And I hope it's with me for the rest of my life where it's given me a foundation upon which to embark on other research projects and businesses and relationships and, you know, forming a family and becoming a father and, you know, it's helped me. The the principles that I've learned in martial arts and through studying the warrior traditions of the world have given me a very strong backbone, have given me the fortitude, the discipline, the self-esteem, the compassion, um, the sensitivity that you gain from working with these different traditions that has served me very well up to the present day. And so this is why, for me, I feel like it's a duty to pay that forward and to really bring out the full breadth of the martial art tradition, the warrior traditions of the world, because if you look around, Mel, I'm sure you would agree, we are we are living in a society that is largely made up of people who, I'm sure, they mean well, but are largely misinformed about the world around them and what's really going on. And alongside that, we have a significant deficiency, especially in young people, in proper uh, self-esteem, self-image, um, and you know the ability to develop things like empathy and all of these different characteristics. And so I looked to the martial art tradition and I was saying, hey, this is a philosophy that's been lost. It's even in the martial art world, it's something that has been lost. And uh, so I'm trying to revive it and bring back the core elements of the philosophy that has changed my life so that I can hopefully inspire others to uh, drastically improve their lives as well.
0: The way I see it, you transmuted the situation you were going through as a youngster. And it's unfortunate, but a lot of people recur to drugs as a distraction or as an escape. But you, in turn, went to martial arts in order to find this this place. If it hadn't been because of the situation, do you think that you would have pursued martial arts?
1: You know what? I It's a great question. I've asked myself that many times, and I have to say no. To, I would say I probably would not have gone down that road because it's like you said, the challenges that life give you are lessons. They're teachers. They're not curses. They're not something that we should be running and hiding from. They're things that we are here to confront. These are the dragons that we all have to slay. These are the skeletons we all have to dig out of our closet so that we can become whole again and so that we can actually become strong. You don't become strong by just thinking yourself into being strong. You become strong by pushing yourself to the next level, by going against different challenges in your life, by facing adversity. So strength comes from facing adversity. So uh, when I look around now and I see that the young people today are not being shown the value of, you know, hard work and effort and, you know, struggle and, you know, you got to go for it. You got to dig deep. You got to really, you know, there's a benefit to pushing past your limiting belief systems. There's a benefit to facing your fears. There's a benefit to uh, looking at yourself in a holistic way and, and having compassion for yourself and realizing, hey. You don't have it all figured out yet, but you're on the path, you know, and and that's one thing I learned from martial arts is is it's such a hard physical discipline to learn because it's very complex. Uh, Most of the movements are very foreign to you in the beginning because we have to sort of unlearn what we've learned and then relearn something new. That's very difficult for many people. But when you can do that, you start to realize that if you keep at it, you can actually perfect yourself through the actions. That you're trying to master and through the techniques you're trying to master and as Bruce Lee is famous for saying and I love this quote where he says that all knowledge ultimately means self knowledge and I've taken that uh, concept with me Mel uh, through the martial arts and through my my work in that field but also researching uh, alternative subject matter and history and and, uh, what's going on socially and politically is that understanding that when you're looking at the world in a bigger perspective and you're reflecting back on yourself as well. You're not just pointing fingers at the global elite or the bullies up the street or those people that are shouting you down. You're actually realizing that there's something much bigger going on that you're a part of. And when you're getting that feedback through the process of looking at it from that perspective, you're learning about yourself. You're learning about what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And that is invaluable information that can drastically transform your life. So that's kind of what I've I've, I've developed from this. Um, and that's what I'm trying to help people understand about it.
0: And isn't it incredible that you start with this journey and then 10 doors, 100 doors open. When I started this journey, I just wanted a hobby. I wanted to just discuss UFOs, but then I realized that it's not only that. There's right. health, there are alternative cures that the powers that want to be don't want us to discuss and that they can't have their own intelligence apparatus. And I don't mean to digress because we're going to be talking about this because you also discuss health, correct?
1: Yes, that's a huge component. I mean, physical health, mental health, it's all, it's all part of the same process. And I find it rather interesting that in the world of athletes that have, I've trained with and trained a lot of athletes that compete and like, you know, they push themselves to the maximum human performance level. And yet they're very lacking when it comes to mental health. They they often don't take care of that part of their being. And then when you, I speak to, I, I'm like yourself, Mel, I have a podcast, I run my own show, and I speak to people that I'm interested in. I've read their book or I heard their lecture and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm interested. I want to share this conversation with people. So I'll talk to them. And some of them are just some of the most profound and inspiring people intellectually. But then, some you know, sadly, a lot of them don't take care of their physical health. So I said, you know, it'd be helpful to bring forward a holistic approach to health that will help people no matter what their goals or their aims or their, their aspirations are, and giving them an idea of health that is holistic so that they understand there's a mind-body connection. In fact, there is no separation between the mind and the body. Your body is a mind of its own. And then you, this is a huge thing that we can get into. But the idea that you're looking at health mentally, physically, and spiritually And I got that idea the first time I walked into my local karate dojo. I was in, I grew up in a small town called Yorkton, Saskatchewan, you know, the prairies of Canada. And I was at the Yorkton Shotokan Karate Club and I used to walk past that place all the time. And I, I just wanted to get in there and start training. And when I walked in there for the first time to check it out on the wall, it said mind, body, spirit. And I was like, wow, this is some pretty deep stuff going on in here. And when you really look into the tradition, it's, about having a way of unifying all of those spheres of what you are. You are a multidimensional being living in a multidimensional universe. And so it wouldn't make any sense, would it, to neglect one of those houses of being and say, well, I'm healthy here, but I'm unhealthy here. Um, nobody's perfect. You don't have to become a monk. You don't have to you know, go and sit cross-legged on a mountain and eat twigs for the rest of your life. But what you do have to do is – respect your body your body is your temple it's an incredible machine it's a gift the ancient egyptians used to worship and venerate the body uh, the ancient druids as well and many other cultures because they recognize that it's a gift and there's even been studies to show or pe- some scientists have put together some numbers to sort of calculate what are the odds of you actually being alive in a body and it's something like 400 trillion to one or some ridiculous number and so just to think about that, that the odds of you even incarnating in a body, all the different things that have to intersect in order to make you a living, thinking, breathing human being. A work of art, a work of magic in a way. In order for that to happen, all these forces have to come together. You have better odds of winning the lottery every single day of your life than to even be here right now. So respect that. Respect yourself just from that place. And then go, well. Would I want to treat my body like crap if I knew that? And if I knew what my potential was, and if I could just get a little sliver, a little glimmer of what my potential could be, if I focused on a healthy lifestyle like this, um, if you got a little glimpse of that, you would, you would instantly see that it's, it's, it's irrational and it's backward thinking to, you know, destroy your body and to destroy your, your mind as well. And to recognize that for your spirit to shine through, for your light to shine, so to speak, you have to have a healthy house. You have to clean up your house. You have to clean up your mental house, your physical house, your spiritual house. So I work in my, my quote unquote business, which I just call it my life's work. I guess is it's basically like a tree and it has a few different branches. And one of those branches we deal with helping people achieve optimal health at the cellular level through, you know, helping them with diet, helping them with the proper supplementation, helping them understand. Uh, what's going on in the agricultural and uh, the you know, food industry and all of that and how they can avoid uh, having their body clogged up with all these artificial toxins that are destroying your body. But then also another branch of the tree is what about your mental and emotional state? You know, where's your level of uh, self-knowledge? Where's your level of self-esteem? What does that even mean? What does the word self even mean? And why is it important to have a strong sense of confidence in who you are? And then it goes into the, even the dimension of philosophy, which would be sort of the spiritual dimension. We start asking the bigger questions of life. Okay. So now that we know who you are and how to make you healthy, how do you fit into the rest of what's going on in the world? And then how do we fit into the larger picture of the universe? This is the kind of things you cover a lot on this show, Mel. So that's, that's the long answer, but I would look at health from a holistic perspective. And, uh, it's changed my life and it's changing the lives of the people that I work with.
0: Would you say that it requires mental stamina, martial arts, maybe practice yoga in order to do what we do? And I know I'm talking about the martial arts on your part, but I'm talking about the rest of it, the pursuit of truth, the opening doors, the uncovering the hidden truth that has been hidden from us for millennia. A lot of people say to me, how do you, how do you take care of your family? How do you talk to your, your, your daughter without always thinking about what's happening around the world. And believe me, folks, it's very difficult because our job, and I'm sure yours is to leave a better world for the children and be leave a better children for the world. But you have to have a certain mental clarity and, and, and to be very centered in order to balance all these things out because it's a juggling act, isn't it?
1: Oh, you nailed it. It is. And I'm I'm a father. I'm a young father. I've got a, a six-year-old and a three-year-old daughter. And it's a challenge. Oh, thank you. It's it's that has been another thing that has changed me and and in such good ways that I didn't even know. And I decided when I had those kids that I made a choice from day one. And this is this goes out to the fathers or future fathers out there that are thinking of having kids or you, you've got some young kids and you're not sure how to deal with all the stress and all the worry and all the new things. Embrace it. Embrace it and embrace every part of it, not just the good parts that you like embrace the whole thing and if you do that it's rewarding it, i'm sure you know as you know mel it's it's something that i i'm an advocate for now is that we need good strong healthy moral parents raising good strong healthy moral children and that is going to help the future the children are the future and sadly yeah i'm here studying the statistics i'm looking at them right now a uh, statistics of things like depression and the suicide rates and of course we know there's this epidemic of school shootings and violence and all these, uh, you know, the, the disassociation that we see in the youth today, which is very sad. But what I've seen is that I can set up a little dojo in any community and I can take kids from different racial, cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds and I can put them all in the same place and they can all have different levels of self-confidence, of health, of awareness They can be in different spectrums of autism or all these different oppositional defiance disorder or whatever they're making up these days. Um, they can be in any of these categories. And yet when I unite them together in practicing with the body, we're practicing the movement of the body. That's what martial arts is. It's the, it's the, it's the art of movement and it's the science of self defense. And this, in order to understand self-defense in in a, in a true martial arts sense, it's not just about learning how to win a fight on the street. It's about the self-defense that you need first against yourself, against the, the fears that are going to haunt your mind unless you address them and unless you conquer them, unless you learn how to master your fear. I'm not ever telling these kids, don't erase your fear. Fear is a is a healthy adversary in many conditions. But fear can run away. It's like a fire. It can burn everything around you or it can be there to keep you warm and heat your food. So we, we learn about how to master fear and how to master your movement. And if you can master the movement of your body, you can master the movement of your thinking. You can master the movement of your, the flow of your, of your mind. And so the, when I start taking all these different kids and putting them together and getting them working on something. And the moment they see a little bit of success, just a little bit of success, like they walked in with their head down, their shoulders down, not eye contact, not talking to me. Or they're all, one of them is, you know, running around like crazy, not listening. There's always different kids, but either way, they all come into equilibrium as we progress with these lessons because you're showing them how to win, how to win, not how everybody's the same, not how uh, everybody gets a medal. It's no, no, if you want something in life, you have to strive for it. And the striving is the glory. The striving is what's worth it. The battle that we all fight is the battle of life and You see what happens when people lose that battle. You see many people, I'm sure anybody listening right now, can think of people in their own life where you can walk down the street and you can see people who are just lost. You know, blank stares, no passion, no feeling, no inspiration, totally beaten down by life. And usually those people end up becoming very resentful, blaming everybody in the world for their problems. And then they go on a spiral, a downward spiral towards self-destruction. And I want to try to help rescue these kids from that. And I've seen it happen, Mal, again and again and again. And I've taken multiple different types of children and it's worked. So that means for me, and it can be anything. I'm, 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 I'm an advocate, of course, for martial arts because I think it's a very specific spiritual practice, but there are many forms, uh, that you can, you know, dance and art and, uh, all these great things. Uh, but martial arts is unique because it's combat. It's combat training and you need. Combat training in order to survive this life. I don't care if people feel like they can just sit there and wish all the problems away. Sadly, that's only part of the story. You have to actually take active measures in order to change the circumstances of your life. And when you get a little taste of you being successful in something as small as learning how to do a front kick or learning how to do a back roll or learning how to do that guard sweep or whatever we're working on, and you gain success there, you watch these eyes light up, these kids, their eyes light up. And you, cause what you did was for the once in these kids lives, you proved what you were saying to them. How many times do we see, you know, these authoritative parents or teachers or priests or the media and all the, the social uh, influences on these kids that's talking down to them, talking down to these kids saying, we're going to make you a perfect person. We're going to make you the, you the, you need to start thinking about your career. You need to start thinking about this and about that. You're not good enough. You need to sharp, sharp. You're shaping up or whatever. I don't teach like that. I try to inspire these kids and say, here's something magical. Let me show you a magic trick. Somebody grabs you. Boom. Look what happened. And they're like, wow. And then you show them how to do it. And then they do it. And then they do it, they do it to somebody even bigger than them. And then they do it to a full ground adult. And they say, wow, something that I was shown that I didn't know before, that once I practiced it, now I know it and it works and it works in multiple scenario with multiple different kinds of people. That's something that I can keep with me forever. So essentially I've just proven to them that they can achieve success. And if they can achieve success in that little area, what's to stop them from now learning that they can achieve success in anything that they want to do in their lives? And sadly, we don't have tons of support uh, in our media and the way that the cultural conditioning is going uh, for many, many kids. Uh, and so that's what I feel like martial arts specifically can be used to help in our in our current situation in our society.
0: I always say that the biggest conspiracy of all is the secret to our own potential. And you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of children, they have these abilities, but all of a sudden society shuts them down, whether it's singing, whether it's acting, whether it's, you know, seeing the future in many ways, they're shut down and they just don't feel I- I- anymore. In one of the things you teach, you teach in martial arts, morality, discipline, respect, empathy, compassion, all those things that we are losing in society. And I hate to generalize, but I see it all the time, not only with children. I see it with a lot of adults. You and I are active in right. social media and we see it all the time. And you can sense, you can sense by the wording some people use is that they're going through a lot in their personal lives and they're using this against each other. And I hate to say it, but it's almost a downward spiral and it has to stop.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The conspiracy against your own potential. That is society, isn't it? And how many mystics and sages and teachers have told us that for eons of time that, you know, the collective herd can easily be led by the nose. One leash for many necks. Super easy to achieve. It's been achieved many times in history. It's been maintained for a long time right up to the present day, sadly. But you can break away from that. You can break away from that consensus trance and you can actually become an individual that has your own mind, your own body, your own aspirations, your own goals in life. And that's not to say that you should. we should be encouraging people to become ultra selfish to the point where they don't care. We want, at the opposite, we want more empathy. But how can you empathize properly with other people if you haven't first learned how to empathize with who you are? If you haven't learned about yourself, if you haven't learned self-love, how the hell can you love another person? And look at the divorce rate right now. What do they say? It's like half and half or less. Oh, it's much <laughs> and, more than that. Yeah. And I'm yeah, exactly. And so you go, well, why is that? Well, it's because you have two people coming together and they're not coming together as fully realized individuals that are desperately wanting to or a desperate's not the right word but are they're they're wanting to make this successful you can come in and want to make it successful but if you don't know how to make yourself successful first and access your potential first and learn about who you are first then you're going to expect the other person to fill that hole in your life and that's unrealistic and it's actually immoral and it's immoral because it's going to hurt you as well in the long run and the other person which is what ends up happening so yeah you're right kids Adults, we all see it going on. We see adults acting like children. Um, there's a sort of a situation where people seem to be in a state of arrested development. And I think that, um, you know, this is something that has been festering for a long time, especially in the West. And so we need to go back to our roots. And the roots are strengthen yourself, armor yourself, take care of yourself, put your own oxygen mask on first before assisting others. It's it's you get on the airplane. I just got off an airplane and they warned me every time you get on there. That's the same thing they keep saying. And it's like, well, it makes sense in this area as well that you have to first take your health seriously so that when you go try to help others, it's actually going to be help. It's not going to be you just pretending to help in order to have them fill some void that you haven't been able to fill yourself. And there's so much more reward uh, in being able to achieve that on your own. And then you will be equipped properly to go out and, and help the world. And so when we see the situation with these these poor young kids coming out of these universities today and turning into this social justice, ultra socialist nightmare that we're, we're seeing erupt everywhere, um, we can't just blame these kids. We have to look at the institutions, the societies, the adults who are teaching them, where they got that kind of information, why they feel so resentful. Um, do they have a point? We have to start talking about these things. And we have to try to help influence these young people to recognize that it's a noble thing to want to help the world. It's a noble thing to see the horrible things that we can all look at. There's so many things environmentally and politically and socially and the wars and the poverty and the, the, the all these different things. But if you, if you haven't put your own oxygen mask on first, if you haven't addressed your own psyche, then you're going to make more of a mess than you are going to clean anything up. And I had to learn that lesson. I was young and I was idealistic and I wanted to just go out and, you know, screw the man and let's just rebel and burn it all <laughs> down. And you know what I mean? You get, you go down that track. Um, but you know, as I got a little older and a little wiser, had some more experience, uh, worked at, first of all, I worked in the free market. I worked in the entrepreneurial world for a long time, worked with a lot of people, had successes, had failures. Um started to see that you know things are a little bit different. It's not as simple as I used to see it. And when I now went on that path, I've been able to take those lessons and change my life in many different ways and also inspire others to do the same. And um, I think that this is the kind of message we need to give to our young people is that you need to take care of your health. You need to take care of yourself. You need to stop relying on other people. You need to stop parroting all of uh, what your professors and what the media is telling you. You need to stop believing these lies and you need to ask yourself a question. Is your opinion, is where you're coming from something that you achieved organically on your own? Or was it something that was, you were influenced to do, to, to conclude? Is it, is it something that it, were your opinions formed by you or were they given to you by somebody else? And that's a huge line in the sand. And, and regardless of getting into all the political ramifications of this, just think of it as an individual, on an individual level. Uh, would you rather have your life directed by you, like you're the star in your own movie, or would you rather be a slave to somebody else's vision of your life? And I'm personally not the kind of person that wants to be a slave to anybody, and I don't want to be the master of anybody either. So this is why on the unslaved podcast that I do with Michael Desarian, we have a, a saying. It comes from uh, the Druids. It said, there's no master above and there's no slave below. And that's how you achieve freedom. And that's if society could understand that principle, what other kind of morality would you need that that brings in the golden rule of don't do any harm to others, obviously, because you don't want people doing harm to you. So it's just a natural law. You know, it just it starts to open up this whole uh, new way of looking at the world instead of saying, well, I'm just a victim of the world. I'm a victim of all these circumstances in my life. I'm a victim of Uh, All these powers that be and the conspiracies and the Illuminati and the New World Order. And I'm a victim of all of this. And if you have a a victim mindset, these people are laughing. They don't care if you know that they exist. They're laughing because that's what they want. Because
0: you're easier to control.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so I say, hey, don't be a slave. Don't act like a slave. Don't think like a slave. Start to change the orientation of your mind and realize, no, I'm going to live my life as a victor. Somebody that lives their life as a victor doesn't mean they're always going to win. Doesn't mean they're not going to fall down and get some bumps and bruises and scrapes along the way. Doesn't mean they're going to make a ton of mistakes, right? They are. But you know what's the difference? They never give up and they keep going forward. And that is what's missing. Right now today, a lot of these kids I or even not just the kids, but our society as a whole if say a, a solar flare hit this planet or some big meltdown happened, Most people that I am seeing and what I'm looking at right now would not be able to survive something like that. Yet, if you go back to even the 40s and 50s, I talked to my grandparents and before people that survived the Great Depression and multiple world wars. These people know how to survive. They know how to plant gardens. They know how to armor up. They know how to defend their homes. They know how to unite as a community. They understand the bedrock of what made the best parts of Western civilization. And yet that wasn't translated forward to the younger generation. And that, I think, is what has caused this schism, and we need to repair it.
0: We've been domesticated to the point that we cannot take of ourselves in the event of a catastrophe. But, you know, let's dissect a few things you've said, because I think it's very important. The family, the family unit. When I see that the breakup rate, divorce rate is more more than 50 percent, a lot of single parents, and believe me, we have a lot of single parents that write to me and I know some of them and they have done an outstanding job as a single parent so I'm not not criticizing you folks but you have to wonder why so many? Is it because we have so many people working so much that the marriage cannot happen? Is it because there's an agenda out there to keep the family unit broken so they can control you so that you can be on somebody's hand asking for help all the time. What is causing this? Because if you look back in time, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, this didn't happen. But now, the role of the mother, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not trying to say that the men should be out there, you know, the, the, the hunter-gatherer and the woman stays in the cave with the kids. No, not at all. But what has changed, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, this is, this is a very... Sticky issue right now. I'm sure you're following this, Mel, and this is something that's really cropped up again. And you know what? I'm glad it has. I'm glad we're having this sort of debate as a society. Um, I, re- I wish that certain people could be a little more rational about the debate, but regardless, I'll give you my thoughts on it. I do believe there's an agenda to disrupt the family unit. Um, it's actually written down. People can go look it up. They can study something called the March through the institutions. This goes back to after the fall of the Soviet Union. A lot of people thought, okay, well, We've all agreed that communism has been tried multiple times and it's failed 100 percent of the time, uh, which, you know, just a basic definition of communism is that you have total state control over the means of production. Right. So we we agreed that that's failed. So we're never going to do it again. Uh, However, the communist philosophy, which didn't just evolve under Karl Marx, that is not it's not a recent phenomena just of the 20th century or whatever. It's something that goes back to ancient cults from the ancient world. We can get into that in a bit. But this idea um, basically was – it was to disrupt specifically the family unit and to infiltrate America and Western countries, infiltrate the education systems, the institutions, and to basically bring this philosophy through along with other philosophies that would damage the core foundation of Western civilization, which was founded on the individual – uh, the right to private property, the free market, and not just the free market of goods and services, but the free market of ideas, free speech, the right to protect yourself and your family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so those were values that were a threat to these oligarchies that wanted to formulate uh, a total system of control. They look at it like, no, no, we need to control everybody. And we can't control everybody if we have all these individual units out there prospering in the world are you kidding me we need to stop that right now so when you read from Karl Marx and you read letters from Stalin and even Hitler going into what happened in Germany um, these ideas of how to formulate a society were born out of the need for control on behalf of these elites that were looking to control their populations and there were many well-meaning people that got mixed up into those philosophies and into those ideas but there were also much more sinister forces that we've done a great job, I think, of tracking on uh, the Unslaved podcast, going back into the history and trying to uncover where did all these ideas come from and how have they been? Like, how disastrous have they been? And when you look at what they're actually saying in some of these manifestos and uh, you even hear it coming out of the mouths of professors, even here in Canada, Mel, I've got we have found out that there's a good ratio of they say anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of the professors in universities, especially in the humanities, especially in, in the departments that liberal uh, cover arts. liberal arts, right? They are outright Marxists and they support that philosophy of communism and socialism. And they're now basically trying to turn these young kids against the family unit, the unit, the, the idea of individualism. They're like, individualism's bad. It's all about being selfish and you need to share your, wh-. And that's the word I was waiting for was collectivism. You can say all the isms you want, but they all boil down to collectivism except for one, which is the idea of freedom, which is essentially only related to the individual. You can't have a free society if each individual in that society isn't free. So you have to start it. You have to build this society from the individual up, not the state down. It shouldn't be done like that. And so the getting rid of the family unit is actually one of the things that uh, they look at it as that's a manifestation of evil capitalism. So essentially the family unit is a capitalist, individualist, selfish model that will not properly help the downtrodden, uh it, you know, because if you're you're only out for yourself, you're only out for you and your family. You don't have the best interests of society in mind. And they put these slogans everywhere in the media. You see, it's like, I am who I am because of everyone. It's like, really? I am who I am because of everyone? No, I am who I am because I made the decision to get up in the morning and do the work that I needed to succeed in life and to seek out, yeah, support from people and guides and teachers and having family there to support me no matter what. And yes, you do need other people. It's not viewed as this collective glob of this tyrannical hive mind type thing that we're talking about, which is what I think the other side of this argument is talking about. And so, uh, yeah, the short answer is it's absolutely an agenda. It's written down. Everybody is – it's now out in the open. Like we used to talk about this behind closed doors and now it's out in the general conversation. And I'm shocked. I'm shocked at how easy people fall for the lies that are spun and the propaganda that is spun in this regard.
0: And I can see how a system of government that keeps the their people in control will will have this ability to do so because everybody is in the collective. You know, I laugh all the time, and I don't mean to brag, but when I look at our map of the people who have listened to this radio program, you see these little red dots everywhere, right? And there are two places in this world where you don't see any single dot, and that's North Korea and that's Cuba. Nothing at all. Why? Because they're controlled to the point that information flows depending on what the leader says. I have a friend who's a, a Korean doctor, a very successful Korean doctor here in, in Arizona. He was telling me a story of North Korea a few years ago when they started getting these bootleg uh, VA test tapes. And he knew one person who saw the movie Titanic and they loved it, but they couldn't understand the part about the love affair between, you know, the the, the couple there, because in North Korea, there's no such thing as love between a man and a woman. A man and a woman get married just to procreate, but the love is only professed to the ultimate leader. Wow! when you look at the control systems of these places, and we have the ability to see that, to read about that, and these children are going to college in Canada, the United States, And I bet you a lot of these liberal universities here, I call these professors tumors, cancer tumors. We're harvesting this socialist cancer at these places. And of course, our impressionable youth who have a hard time finding a job and they have all these student loans, they have a mortgage immediately after they leave. And we can talk about the student loan bubble in in a few minutes because I think that's part of the problem. They leave the university They cannot get married because they have to pay their student loans because you cannot even file bankruptcy with student loans. So these people get impressionable. They talk about the professor saying, you see all these student loans, capitalist pigs trying to, you know, take advantage of you, which in part is true in that in that specific regard. But these children are so impressionable. How can you prevent this from happening? Education.
1: Education. Uh, properly educating them with facts and evidence and helping them sharpen their reason and their intelligence uh, that 's how you do it and When you show somebody that you see them quickly start to switch from supporting these types of ideas into starting to go, "Oh, now I understand. I think a lot of these young people now they just they they 're only being shown one side, and this argument is always shown to them using all these different horrible things and they traumatize them. Like, look, look at how this evil happened over here and this evil happened over here. And, and eventually these kids start to believe it and they go, oh, we'll, we'll just blame capitalism and 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 free market and Western ideas and <laughs> white men and whatever. Right, exactly. It's just, but it's not. And even when you use that word capitalism, it's another talismanic word, as we like to say, is, is that we don't even have capitalism truly. We have a glimmer of it. And even that glimmer of it has produced the most free society in the world Where our biggest problem is that we have too much stuff. And, um, yeah, there's always going to be inequalities and disparities, no matter what kind of system you create. But, and it's not perfect. No system ever will be because it's made by human beings. And let's just, let's just face it. We're not perfect in, in the definition of what we think that would be. But, um, one thing that's, that's a problem with it is that the kind of capitalism we have and what a lot of people are critiquing is crony corporatism that is actually more aligned with socialism and communism yeah. than it is true capitalism. And so that's a differential that needs to be made. And here it is philosophically from Joseph Goebbels, if anybody's ever heard of this guy. Uh, and coming from the Nazi party, he was the propaganda minister for the Nazi party. It's interesting that in the political rhetoric today, the extreme left today is trying to equate capitalism, Western values, free markets with fascism which is laughable. Um, but essentially, let's just remember that in Germany, what did the Nazi party come out of? Did they really come out of what they call the right wing concept in politics, which is a little bit more conservative, you know, all that kind of stuff? No, no, they actually came out of the National Socialist Party of Germany. So they came from the left. And what he Joseph Goebbels says about collectivism is he says to be a socialist, is to submit the I to the Thou. Socialism is sacrificing the individual to the whole. So let me ask you this, anybody listening that might be sitting there going, well, I think that, you know, maybe socialism is a good idea. Let's just put this through for a second. If you do not own the product of your labor, which is the product of your mind, and everything you produce is not yours anymore to decide what you want to do with it. It is now owned by the collective of people around you. Do you own your mind, your thought, your reason? Sorry, I had a little interruption there. Do you own that or is that now owned by everybody else around you? And how, if you can accept that that's the case, how is that not a tyranny? How is that not a tyranny? Forget about the government. Forget about the shadow elite or whatever. What about the people around you? That are going to watch you rise to the top and produce and work hard. And, you know, in socialist countries, it's like 80 to 100% of your labor gets distributed amongst everybody else who didn't have that ingenuity, who didn't put that work in, who didn't produce. So there's no incentive. There's no real incentive. And there was an old joke in the Soviet Union that went, you know, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. And that's a very interesting thing. And, and then again, look at. Uh, look at the history of countries that have used this philosophy, and you'll see places like Venezuela, Cuba, like you said, going back through history. We have so many different examples. This philosophy has been tried in every way, shape or form in multiple demographics, and it constantly fails. It's, it's constantly failing. And so when you see all of our political leaders making steps all together, by the way, not just, oh, one country here. Hey, Canada's doing this. But. Uh, Finland's doing something different. No, no. We're talking across the board. It's all happening collectively that we are changing policy one little incremental step at a time away from policies that defend freedom, that defend your rights as an individual, that defend your mind and your reason as your property, not the property of the state. Um, when we see them eroding that inch by inch, we have to ask ourselves, is this coordinated? Is this is this that our politicians didn't learn the lesson? They fell asleep. All of them fell asleep in history class that day. Uh, they're all ignorant and stupid and incompetent. I don't think it's just incompetence, Mel. I think these people know exactly what they're doing. Uh, many of them might be unwitting. Many of them might only know a part of the game. But let's be honest. The people that really pull the strings, that really influence the way that the direction of policy goes in these countries, they know exactly what they are doing. And what they want is complete control. That's what they want. They act in the way that a sociopath acts. And we need to uh, we need to understand that. We need to really investigate why that is. We need to identify it, and we need to figure out for ourselves as individuals whether it's something we want to be a part of. Um, and let's let's also add this little caveat. Yeah, our system right now isn't perfect. We could fix it. We could do better. But if we got left alone and we were allowed to do it, we would work. Out. We would fix the problems. We would fix the, you know, the, the fiat currency situation, the federal reserve system, the, uh, you know, all these different things that are, that are destroying any semblance of a free market. Um, we could fix all of these laws coming in to regulate speech and to censor people from having different opinions. We could fix those things. Um, but we're not going to fix it if we're blind to it. And if we just decide to fall asleep, roll over and believe what we're being told, because a lot of the arguments that are posed by the socialists, are emotionally based and that's what they're trying to get you to is to get you to think on an emotional level only i mean you your emotions you need them you need all the faculties of your body like i said you're a holistic multi-dimensional being if you sever one part of that you're gonna get a bad response out of the system right so if you like i said if your health mentally deteriorates it's not gonna be long before your health physically deteriorates and vice versa so we have to think holistically about this And that's what I feel like is missing is we're not taught in school how to – first of all, we're not taught how to think, how to actually go through the process of thinking. We're just taught what to think. We're taught how to act. We're told what to do. But we're not told how to actually go through the process of learning, producing, and creating because that is a threat to the system that they want to pull in because if you want to control an entire population, you can't have a bunch of rogue agents running around. And you also don't want any competition on the playing field. So you don't want some bright guy coming out of the ghetto and, and making his way up and then inventing some kind of free energy technology that's going to demolish your oral cartel situation. You don't want that. You don't want to have any kind of um, alternate concepts coming out that are going to demolish uh the, the status quo. So you need to keep everybody in line. And that's how propaganda works. And when you study history, as long as I've looked at it and many others who've looked on it even longer than I have, you'll start to see that this pattern is emerging over and over and over again. And the question is why? And so uh, I was asking uh, my colleague Michael about this and I was saying, well, why do you think this keeps happening? He said to me, he goes, well, the simple answer is that we've been conditioned so long through so many different generations uh, to, be a, to become like a fraction of what our human potential is that now people – Want freedom from freedom. They say they want freedom. They wear the slogan. They wear the T-shirt. They they wear in the Che Guevara T-shirts, thinking they're being rebels and thinking that they're advocates of freedom. But the truth is, they don't want freedom because what is freedom, Mel? Freedom is responsibility. You have to have responsibility if you're going to be free. That comes with responsibility. We know that. So what I think people are afraid of is they're afraid of having responsibility. And why is that? Well, because They don't know who they are. They don't know what their potential is because no one's ever shown it to them. So I feel like if we could have this conversation in a more productive way with people and really help to influence people back to the ideas of what freedom means, what it is, the fact that freedom is intimately associated with your being and what it is to be a human being. When you look at nature, nature operates freely until we come in and try to coordinate off and, you know, change it, you know. And so if you're a product of nature and you understand how the natural law works, then if we built a society based on those natural laws, we would get a more positive effect in the world. But when you see all the war, the division, the poverty, the killing, the violence, the depression, the suicide, the hatred, the self-hatred, the uh, just the horrible you know, picture that we can all look around and see right now if we open our eyes, we're getting that because – Of the foundation, the foundation has become rotten. It's like a dilapidated house, and we need to we need to definitely fix it as it is. But I don't recommend we blow the whole thing up and just try to start from scratch. I go with Buckminster Fuller, where he says you don't destroy the system to change it; you build a new, better system, and the other one will fall away naturally.
0: Yeah, funeral after funeral. You know our friend Mark Passio, right? Hmm. You remember Mark Passio? Yes, yes. Well, absolutely. you know, a lot of these presentations, you know, when you think that it's one aspect is only the breakup of the family, but then you have the others, the all these feminazis that are out there that are creating this new, what is it, men going on their own. And then you have soy, soy that's that's just creating this feminism in Asia. A lot of people consume soy there. So it's almost like they're trying to prevent people from procreating. And also, I recently took my wife and my daughter to Cuba. My parents left Cuba after the missile crisis. So I wanted to show them there because they keep hearing about my stories. And I just wanted to show them firsthand. The moment we left the cruise ship, and of course, in the cruise ship, everyone, everyone has a smile. Yeah, customer service, you leave the cruise ship, you go to customs. No smile. Everybody's just zombified there, not even hello, nothing. And then you take the tour and they show you the waterfront buildings that are falling apart. And they say to you, the tour guide, well, the reason why these these buildings are falling apart is because of the, the uh, salt water in the air. And my daughter and my wife are looking at me saying, how come this wasn't like that in the 50s and 40s? This is just beautiful. So they just brainwash our children. And when I see these antifas with their... Soviet Union flags or their Che Guevara shirts, I want to sit down with them and talk with them. What do you know about this? Why don't I just, you know, find a few people to sponsor you, to stay in Cuba or Venezuela for a week or a month. Just pick the time. I'll leave you there and I'll pick you back when you want to return and you realize how the life your professors are telling you is the best. It's nothing's further from the truth.
1: Oh, exactly, and it's it's getting a little scarier now in in the U.S. and in in Europe especially as well, and in Canada. Oh my God, we could talk about Canada all day about what's going on here. Yeah, I wanted
0: but, to get your perspective later about Canada too.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But if you just look at you know like Acacia Cortez, what's her full name? I'm not sure, but she won the. Cortez. There you go, and I think we were involved in the same post on one of these discussions and. And she was; she's basically coming out, and the the Democrats in America are now saying that she is the new face of the Democrats, and they're all encouraging her, and everybody's cheering for her. And um, I actually ended up getting into a few debates about her policies with a couple friends of mine who have been friends with for some time, and I was shocked that are they still they were, your friends? <laughs> and that's the sad <laughs> thing, Mel, because I'm friends with anybody, man. You can disagree with me the whole way through. And I'll still love you and they're still They're the ones who unfriend me. They, exactly. They're like, you're a Nazi. See you later. I didn't know you were like this. And I'm like, whoa, exactly. whoa I was just asking a question. Yep. Here's my question. Uh, what is she saying? She's saying democratic socialism. She's kind of taking the whole Bernie Sanders route. And they're saying, well, you're the new, you're the new leader uh, of our party. And you're kind of like, how did, how did the left fall so hard? I mean, because there was a role for the left. I mean, I would identify myself, although I'm Canadian, I would identify myself, well, probably apolitical in general. But if you're going to go political, we'd be more libertarian or classic liberal or, you know, I just believe in freedom man. I believe in free markets, free ideas, free flow of information. And I that's where I come from. So when I hear somebody advocating for they're saying the words free. So she says the word free a lot. She's like, well, this is going to be free and this is going to be free and education is going to be free. And um, you're like, well, who's going to pay for it? Well, we know where the money is going to come from. But like her answers are not very clear and you're like well you can't just have everything free uh without understanding that nothing is free like freedom as a concept is different than say means of production which means there's always labor there's always having to go and take finite resources from the planet and then turn a hunk of rock into a diamond and like there's a whole processing that has to happen so who's going to do all the work who's going to produce all the wealth in order to make it work and you know so these que- these basic questions can't be answered because The philosophy is missing some key components. And when I start to see that now socialism and communism is the new hip thing in town. And yet when you go back in history, these philosophies have been the most devastating force on the planet earth. Um, and they've been around a long time. Like I said, it's not just something that was born from, you know, what happened in the Soviet Union. These are ancient ideas. There are, these come from ancient cults, these ideas. Um, and we have to understand that. And we have to understand that the movement of history has been based on ideas, people that have ideas. And there's been good ideas and there's been some really bad ideas. And so when I see, um, what's going on in America with this rhetoric, and then I talk to friends in Europe and I see what's going on in Europe with the migrant crisis and, hey, we're not protecting borders anymore. And everybody just has to give up their culture and their identity and, You know, this is just the way of the world now, and you can't do anything about it. And oh, by the way, we're formulating this thing called the EU, which is essentially just a plutocracy run from Brussels. And you're not, you know, it's just on and on we're going. And when anybody wants to say, well, hold on, no, no, we want to keep our identity. We want to, we want to work on this. We want to keep developing this concept. You're basically told that you're a racist, Nazi, bigot, homophobe, or whatever, and you're like, hold on a second, this is not a productive conversation because that is not who I am. I'm advocating for freedom. That's the first thing that I want here. And then from there, we can dissect all the details as to how we should make an effective system. But can't we agree that history has taught us a lot of valuable lessons about what works and what doesn't? Can we go back and look at all of the facts first and then say, well, here we are. Here's where we've come from. Where could we go from here? Could we do even better than a free market system, capitalism, whatever? Could we do better than that? Maybe. But we're not going to be able to if we can't shake these other really 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 bad ideas from the past and uh and you know i i, I talked to so many people about these things and i can see that they are well-meaning people um but unfortunately they're just in my opinion they're very uninformed and so when you try to inform people and they reject it then what are you going to do you can't you can't you can take a horse to water but you can't force it to drink you know
0: Absolutely. And speaking of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, she visited the cafe that she used to work at years ago. And it was, you know, made famous by Sex in the City, and so on. She was mm-hmm. there the other day to say hello to their to her former friends, I guess. And she found out that the place just shut down a few days ago, and she's lamenting the fact that it's closed. But the thing is, the reason why it's closed is because the hikes in minimum wage it's just this $15 an hour deal. I understand some people say, "Well, but I cannot survive on $15 an hour. Minimum wage should not be the position that you take for the rest of your life. It's a jumping board for you to go and and prepare yourself for the next big thing." But 150 employees, if you have to raise their their hourly wage to $15 an hour. I am in the restaurant business. I am suffering the consequences and guess what? In Arizona, the voters pay, uh, voted for the increase all the way to $12, 13 an hour in the next couple of years. Well, last year I had to raise my minimum wage probably 30, 40% in one year. And guess what? I had to raise my menu prices accordingly in order to stay open. Well, guess what? A lot of people with social media, I cannot believe you're raising your menu prices and that. You know, these people, are you socialist or are you misinformed? Which one is it?
1: <laughs> Probably a combination of both, because I mean, like getting into minimum wage and all these things with it. I, I advocate for the the what we what's the way to say this? The least possible amount of government interference. Okay, because that's the idea, and that was the original concept in America was that we would have. They called the government a necessary evil. Yeah. Okay, now I'm not. A, I do not agree with the philosophy of anarchism when applied in a political sense. Right. When it comes to philosophy, philosophically, I could be called an anarchist. But when it comes to how you weigh in politically, I don't think that collectively we're there yet. Okay. But understanding that we can say, well, however we formulate it, you don't even have to call it a government. If you want to go private with it, or however people want to envision it, let's just let's not split hairs. Let's just look at it like this. If we could have less interference in the market, the market would decide. The market would decide. And what we would try to do is, yeah, we could probably have some social safety nets. I mean, I, I do hear some of the arguments on those sides. But they're not meant to be places where people remain. They're there to just take care of people who are literally at the end of their rope, like literally. And the whole point would be to help them. The process, the incentive should be built in. To help them get away from it and we've seen experiments done where they have either reduced welfare in certain areas or completely eliminated it and the moment that happens there's a momentary chaos but then what do people do they go out and they find jobs and jobs get created and the market moves on and people don't have to rely on welfare anymore so when we keep going and we actually get to the point where we're like well now you can live off the government's purse and yeah, all these – you were talking about the single mother situation because of what's going on with uh extreme feminism and so many other influences in our society and probably other factors as well. Um, well, now the government is the father of the children and that's what they want. They want the state to be there meddling in every minute detail of your life because freedom is a threat to them. They look at an issue and they go, hey, how can we tax that? How can we raise that? How can we pull more money? And then what are we going to do with that money? Well, we're going to you know, feather our own nests, of course, and fund the wars and give the money to the global international banking cartel that we owe them. Uh, But at the same time, we're also going to keep feeding this welfare program because we want to keep people enslaved in that system. It doesn't free anybody. It doesn't help anybody. It keeps them down, and that's the problem. You need uh, people to understand our system was based on a very good model of what it is to live in the Western Hemisphere, which is we have something called winter here. So during a period of time, you're harvesting crops or you're you're planting crops, then you harvest your crops and then you got to pack up, make sure you store lots of food for the horrible winter you're about to endure. You know, just imagine before uh, the advent of electricity or whatever. And so then you got to you have to learn how to conserve, how to save, how to prepare, how to think ahead. How to be self-sufficient, you know, and those were principles that were very, very prevalent when it came to founding these ideas in Britain and in America. And so if we're basically saying we're doing away with the concept of building a society modeled off of nature and we're going into modeling a society off of some hypothetical, never been proven magical stardust and fairy theory. I just don't understand how people disconnect on that and how they think it can be a good thing. But I do understand why. And it's because they're saying, well, look at those poor people. We have to help the poor. We have to help the people that are homeless, the people that are that, that don't have as much as we have and don't have the same opportunity. And you go, oh, hold on a second. What did you say? They don't have the same opportunity? See, our system was not built on equality of outcome, meaning you just show up and you get paid. It was based on equal opportunity. I mean, everybody has an equal opportunity to work where they want, to build what they want. And are they going to go through challenges? Is there certain levels of discrimination? Uh, Are there levels of inequality amongst the human race? Yes, but that doesn't stop many of the people that I know. I know guys that have missing limbs that are very successful in their fields. I know people that uh, are blind or deaf or are missing like, you know, it's just basic Basic things that we all take for granted. And yet they are some of the most successful people I know, materially and spiritually. And so you can't tell me that we it's, we just have to try to level the playing field and it's all this inequality and this racism and this discrimination that is the reason why certain people are staying down. And it, it's not true when you really look at the research. So um, I think that we have to take a bigger look at this and realize that the government is suspect number one suspect number one now we sh- I believe we need to vet uh, that process we have to bring it back to the original concept of what a government could be um, and what it's actually what its job is which is to actually represent the people and serve the people I know there's a lot of people that go on the more anarchistic route that would disagree with me on that but we can debate that another time either way looking at where we are right now uh, I would say that we could agree that we should have less government interference in the market to let the market decide which means to let you decide. Okay, That's what that means by the way. It means letting you and letting the people around you and letting the forces of uh, you know nature and the market decide wow. instead of having a dictatorial government come in and forcibly remove the product of your labor and give it to people that are not going to be incentivized to go on the same path you did. They're going to be incentivized to stay where they are and that's what they want. So this is something that uh, we desperately need to continue to discuss in our society. And the one thing that I'm probably the most furious about right now has to be this issue with censorship. So we see all this stuff going on with the social media. Now, hold wait, we, getting- we
0: can talk about that during part two because we have to take a one only break, a, a quick uh, sure. uh, no problem. Uh, cliffhanger there because I think censorship it's huge. But let me just say this. You mentioned equality of opportunity. I think that's totally true. But there shouldn't be equality of outcome. Everybody's a winner. You see that in schools. What's going to happen with these children when they go out there to, to college or when they're ready to get a job and they apply, they think that everybody's going to get their job? That's going to happen. But one thing that I want to say before we take a break and you give us your coordinates and your websites and so on, a lot of people write to me say, Mel, why are you making Veritas political lately? It's not political. It's always been apolitical. However, because being anti-communist is in my DNA, my parents... <laughs> suffered through it. First of all, they suffered it with Franco and fascism, and then with communism and Castro. Imagine this for a second. You're a young couple. You you saved and saved and saved. You bought your first house, and your grandparents had their house. And then all of a sudden, the government says, by the way, effective on such and such state, this house is not going to be yours anymore. You can still live there in that room, but the other three rooms are going to be for other families who will be living with you. And whatever you make, you're going to have to share it with us. So they decided, there's no way we can stay here. Fine. If you want to leave, you have to wait one year and you have to quit your job. So you cannot earn any money from anybody, from the government or private. And then 30 days before you are to leave the country, the government sends their goons and they they do an inventory of every single piece that you have in your house. Every spoon, every knife, every porcelain dish, whatever. If one little thing is missing 30 days after, you are not allowed to leave the country. So those are the stories. And then when you're ready to leave, they tell you, wait a second, sir, ma'am, those luggage, you have to leave them. My parents had to leave back to Spain without anything, not even luggage. So when they got there in the dead of winter, a photographer took a picture of them and got them some winter clothing, some coats. You know what, I'll add this photograph at the bottom of our interview. So if you want to see why I'm so passionate about this, you'll see a picture of my parents when communism took everything away from them. So I can empathize with a lot of people that go through this. So when these communist Antifa, youngsters misinformed, tell me how this would be better for the United States, imagine what goes through my mind. So, folks, this is why I discussed this. But when we come back, I want to discuss censorship. I want to discuss the Sesame credit score that's coming to America. And it's proven now. Facebook is using it behind the scenes. So it's not only happened in China. It's happened here. You don't know what your score is, but they're keeping track of you. David, how can people learn more about your work, your podcast, uh, Michael Cesarian's work with you, and so on?
1: Oh, thank you, Mel. Yeah, my main website is com, and the website for the Unslave podcast, which is the podcast I do with Michael, we do that every week, is simply unslave.com. And from those two websites, you'll be directed to all of my other social media platforms that are being tracked.
0: (laughs) Folks, I'm here with David Whitehead. So much more when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great
1: products. Thank you.